Hello and welcome to episode 57 of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast. I'm Adam. Firstly, I'd like to thank my new supporters on Patreon this week. That's Oliver Wiles, Catherine Morris and Sean Popperwell. I really appreciate all your support and I hope you enjoy the 10 bonus episodes and other exclusive content. Today, we head to the beautiful rural northwest of Northern Ireland to pick up a story from 2003 of a local woman who went missing walking back from church. But first, I'm delighted that this week's episode is supported by Harry's. I've told you many times I love Harry's and I use it myself. My skin is pretty sensitive and using Harry's products is awesome for my skin. It really cares for it and leaves me feeling fantastic. Join me today and head to harrys.com slash truecrime to have your trial set delivered to your door for just £3.95. I'm not so good on following rules, to say the very least. And what initially attracted me to Harry's was the story of the owners, Jeff and Andy, who were fed up of being overcharged for razors, so they started their own company. How cool is that? I love the attitude. But of course, if the quality wasn't there, I wouldn't stay with them. But it is... And I do, so I would love you to enjoy the same quality shaving experience today by claiming your exclusive trial set for just £3.95. Do it now. Support this podcast and get your trial set delivered to your door, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover. Simply head to harrys.com slash truecrime right now. To put today's story in context, let's take a quick look at the music of the time. Goodness me, what a selection. Moody, prima donna, Will Young top the charts with Lee right now. Fellow Hall of Famer and legend of the UK rock music scene, Gareth Gates was in the top five with some garbage. And the Westlife cover of Barry Manilow's Mandy was at number five. Oh dear, bring back Aqua. In the US, Outkast topped the charts with Hey Ya. Hey Ya. And in Australia... Album of the Year was Delta Goodrum with Innocent Eyes, which hogged the top spot for a whopping 29 weeks. In the news, this was the month when Paul Martin became the 21st Prime Minister of Canada. Former Iraqi President Saddam Hussein was captured hiding in a hole near his hometown of Tikrit during Operation Red Dawn by US forces. And the ill-fated Beagle 2 probe, which was released from the Mars Express spacecraft on December 19th, disappeared shortly before its scheduled landing. There was significant UK true crime news this month. The Soham murder trial ended at the Old Bailey in London, with Ian Huntley found guilty of two counts of murder. His girlfriend, Maxine Carr, was found guilty of perverting the course of justice. It was 6pm when a worried Michael Harron contacted the police to report his wife missing. He just couldn't understand where his wife, 65-year-old attractor Harren could be. Thursday, December 11th, 2003, had been a normal day for them like any other. Early in the morning, the couple were chatting and laughing together as they opened Christmas cards in their home. Later that day, a tractor was due to go Christmas shopping with one of their daughters, but first it was church. A tractor left their home in Strabane, Northern Ireland, to attend Mass at Murlog near Lifford where the couple had married 39 years before and as a child a tractor had been baptised. The church was two and a half miles away across the border in Donegal, but a tractor was fit, healthy 
and she really loved the exercise of walking to church. Attractor Heron's faith was a core pillar in her life and really important to her. She was doing a 30-day prayer. She was always praying for something, for somebody, said her husband Michael. She loved life. She loved Donegal. She was very spontaneous. We went to visit our son in England once and ended up in Paris for St Valentine's Day. When asked by police how friends would describe his wife, Michael replied that she was seen by all as a vibrant and a kind person. And during the course of their police inquiries, this came through strongly from everyone who knew her. During her working life, she'd been a librarian, a job she loved, and it meant she was very well known and liked in the local community. At the time of her disappearance, she'd recently retired and was loving the extra time this gave her to spend with her friends and family. Initial police inquiries confirmed Michael's account that a tractor had left the house at around nine, a striking figure in her red coat and blonde hair as she walked to church. She'd attended mass sitting in her usual seat and after that there were a number of people who'd seen her walking back towards her home. At precisely 10.44am that morning, she was filmed by a CCTV camera passing Daly's petrol station, but then suddenly she simply disappeared. Michael and their five children were questioned extensively as the police began a massive search for a tractor. Michael's family and friends travelled all over Ireland following up potential sightings and leads about his wife. When a number of people suggested they'd seen her in the centre of Dublin, the family headed there on Christmas Day, desperately scouring the crowds of people for signs of her, but to no avail. From the outset, police had grave concerns for a tractor's safety. They immediately rounded up known sex offenders and others with a history of violence towards women for questioning and as they appealed for information, there began to be some worrying reports coming through. In particular, a local farmer who saw a newspaper of a picture of a tractor came forward to say he'd seen a man driving a red car at speed on a country road near Sion Mills, which was close to where a tractor disappeared, with a woman who closely resembled a tractor in the passenger seat, and the woman's face was covered in blood. Although keeping their options open when briefing the public, Police quickly identified a prime suspect, convicted rapist, 21-year-old Trevor Hamilton. The day after a tractor went missing, the fire service and police had been called to Hamilton's house after reports of a fire in a red car at the back of his home. Hamilton told them it must have been started by an intruder, but a policeman called to investigate immediately found this really odd, as Hamilton's dogs had made so much noise when he arrived that any intruder sneaking in seemed highly unlikely. But nothing related to a tractor was found. Michael Harron, inevitably, was also treated as a potential suspect, but he accepted this questioning of his usual good grace, saying, After all, I know that 80% of women who are killed are killed by their husband. Police were still uneasy about Trevor Hamilton and his potential involvement, so they quickly obtained a warrant to search his home. This time they were successful, if that is the right word for it, as they found the ashes of a bonfire containing pieces of red fabric, part of a set of rosemary beads, fragments from a holy book and an ATM receipt. Although all these items were badly burnt, they had one thing in common, and that is that they'd all belong to a tractor heron. The police were sure they'd found their man, and they were also now convinced that a tractor had been murdered 
but Hamilton didn't reveal anything at interview, just saying no comment. Buoyed by the breakthrough, the police operation scaled up even further, with the RAF becoming involved, flying over Donegal. Local rivers were searched, and in February 2004, special sniffer dogs were brought in from Yorkshire to go over Hamilton's car one more time. One of the dogs called Eddie. Check him out online. He's a bit of a hero, and he's helped to solve a number of crimes. Eddie found blood in the burnt-out remains of Hamilton's car. Forensics were quickly called in, and DNA tests revealed that there was only a one in a billion chance that it could belong to anyone other than a tractor. Hamilton was immediately arrested and charged with murder, but he continued to protest his innocence. His mum was also arrested, but released without charge. Michael told a local newspaper the reality of how the family had searched the streets of Dublin on Christmas Day 2003, just a fortnight after she disappeared in a bid to find her. He said he gave up hope of finding his wife alive after the police discovered the blood on the rear mat taken from the ruins of Hamilton's car, which he'd obviously set alight on the day that a tractor had vanished. Once they had told me that, as an editorial in one of the papers said, all hope is gone. Your world has ended. There's no point to anything. Someone had murdered her and we now knew who it was. But just why she got into his car is a mystery. Then a week later, on the 5th of April, the body of a tractor harem was found in a rural area near Hamilton's home in a makeshift bag in a hole dug into the side of the riverbank. A gruesome place for the remains to lie of such a dignified lady. This discovery at least allowed the family to bury a tractor and the burial took place a week later at the same church where she'd been baptised, married and taken her final mass. Hundreds of mourners, among them police officers who took part in the search for her, as well as members of several mountain search and rescue teams, joined the Harron family in the Church of the Immaculate Conception for Mass of the Resurrection. Following the Mass, a tract was buried in the cemetery adjoining St Patrick's Church in Murlog. The parish priest told the congregation that the barbarity and callousness of a tractor's death and the ruthless way in which it was carried out had caused a profound shock. It has crushed the hearts of her family and of her many friends. This heinous crime has shaken us to the core and we struggle to comprehend the evil that would perpetrate such savagery and violence on such a loving, trusting and gentle soul that was a tractor, he said. A tractor was not afforded any rights, her dignity completely disregarded on that terrible day, yet she'd have been the very first in her involvement with others to recognise their dignity and rights and treat them with gentleness, courtesy and respect. This Easter, we are a community in mourning, a wounded, traumatised people. Michael Harron took a tiny bit of comfort that at least his beloved wife was laid to rest during this most holy time of the year. Although a tractor's body was badly decomposed, a post-mortem examination showed scalp and facial injuries caused by at least three blows to the head with a heavy object possibly the cutting edge. The damage to the right side of the skull could have been due to a further blow from a blunt object or as a result of counter-pressure if one of the blows to the left side of the scalp was inflicted while the right side of the head was resting on a hard surface such as the ground. Although the skull was of somewhat less than normal thickness and density, the extent of comminution of the bone pointed to quite substantial force having been used.
The injuries had caused significant damage to the underlying brain, sufficient to cause fairly rapid death. It was suspected that an axe or a hatchet had been used and that a tractor was likely to have been killed on the day she disappeared. And it could not be stated with certainty whether or not she was sexually assaulted. The police by now had a pretty good idea of what had happened on the day of the killing. Farm labourer Trevor Hamilton was due to work that day sorting potatoes for a local farmer, but the machine developed a fault so he went home. The house was empty as his mum was shopping and his dad at work, so he put an axe in the back of his car and went out to find a victim. Any victim. A tractor wasn't known to him at all, but when he spotted her he stopped the car and offered her a lift which she accepted. Why wouldn't she? We could only imagine the horror of her final moments when she realised just what was going to happen. We've covered this moment in this podcast a number of times. That terrible second that it's realised that this just isn't like any other day and the normality in the ordinary we face daily have been replaced with an appalling fear and dread and knowledge that everything is about to change. Although the police were pleased that their investigation had found the murderer and recovered the body, there was uproar in Northern Ireland when it emerged that Hamilton had been charged with murder. He was just months out of prison on parole for a violent rape when he attacked a tractor. And as the full story emerged about just what a monster he was, there were serious questions asked about just why this man was let out of prison to kill. So he was Trevor Hamilton. He grew up in what we would describe as a normal family situation. But at school he started to display worrying behaviours. For example, he once smashed a chair over a teacher during a fit of rage. As a young teenager, he would hide among bushes along the roadside near his home and when women drivers went past, he would expose himself to them. This behaviour escalated on one occasion when he unsuccessfully attempted to drag a young woman from her car. Hamilton was eventually caught and in 1999 he was convicted of five offences of indecent behaviour and was put on probation for two years on condition that he attended a therapeutic project run by the charity Bernardo's. But just two months later he carried out an almost unspeakable rape on a local woman. It was 3pm on the afternoon of February the 16th 2000 when Helen, a 29 year old mum of two, was waiting for a bus to take her from Sion Mills into a nearby town when a car slowed and the teenager she recognised offered her a lift. In a chilling premonition of a tractor Harren's abduction and murder, Helen accepted the offer from the young man, as was common in the tight-knit rural community. It was a decision she would live to regret every day for the rest of her life. 17-year-old Hamilton told her he had to collect something at his mum's house first and drove to his home leaving Helen sitting in the car. He then came back and attacked her. But when she tried to escape from the car, she realised the interior passenger door handle was missing and so there was no escape. What happened next was the stuff of our very worst nightmares. Hamilton told Helen he was going to rape her and he dragged her by her hair to a derelict caravan behind his house where he tore her clothes off and violently raped her repeatedly, constantly telling her that when he was finished with her, he would kill her. Helen didn't doubt this threat for one moment. But when it was over, finally over, he spared her life, making her swear on her young son's life that she would not tell the police. Apologising for the marks he left on her neck, he told her he couldn't believe what he had done and drove her home. In a terrible state, 
Helen immediately ran to her sister's house and the police were called. In police interviews, Hamilton denied everything and kept up this stance until just minutes before the trial opened in March 2001. He then changed his plea to guilty. Pre-sentence reports noted he was immature and of low intelligence, but he was sufficiently intelligent to know right from wrong. The report stated that Hamilton admitted planning his crimes, but claimed he had no memory of committing them. They warned that while Hamilton said he was willing to participate in a sex offender's treatment programme, his persistent state of denial could greatly undermine this. The judge, and later the appeal judge, both took the view that because of his youth, Hamilton needed help as well as punishment. And so having served just three and a half years of his sentence, Trevor Hamilton was freed on the 18th of August 2003. It was just months later that he murdered a tractor. The victim of this awful rape forfeited her right to anonymity to talk about the case and she was just appalled as you can imagine. Helen believed that Hamilton's biggest regret was that he didn't murder her when he had the chance. The attack has completely ruined her life. She has made numerous suicide attempts and had a number of nervous breakdowns in the years since it happened. She said, I felt cheated by the so-called system when he only served three years. As a result of that system letting me down, it let the Harrens down. I wasn't even told he was out. I actually saw him on the street. Then a woman goes missing because of the laws that let Trevor Hamilton out of prison. I made it clear to the police from the start that if he ever got out, there would be a next time, and that time he would kill. Hamilton didn't show any remorse in prison. He was classified as a Category 3 prisoner, the most dangerous kind, which meant that on release he was still a serious risk and the probation board were to monitor him closely. Clearly, whatever steps that were taken were not sufficient to stop this monster from reoffending in the worst possible way. When Hamilton arrived in court to be tried for the murder of a tractor Harron, there was no last-minute plea of guilty. He argued his innocence at every opportunity, forcing her friends and family to relive all the details of the attack over a seven-week trial. The motive for the murder was made clear by the forensic psychiatrist who said, the advanced state of decomposition of the body when found precluded evidence being found which might have established a sexual assault upon Mrs Harron. I am sure, however, that her abduction was for a sexual purpose. As the QC for the prosecution put it, there was no other logical reason for it. No other explanation has ever been advanced, even on a theoretical basis, and it's impossible to think of a credible one. This overwhelming inference is supported by the similarity of the pattern of his previous offending, and by the fact that he has a proven, enduring predilection to predatory, sexual and violent offending against women. It took a jury of six men and six women at Dungannon Crown Court just over four hours in a period of two days to find Hamilton guilty of murder on the 12th of April 2006. Mr Justice McGoughlin made legal history in Northern Ireland by telling Trevor Hamilton, now 24, from Sion Mills, County Tyrone, that he would spend the rest of his natural life in prison for the crime. In his judgment, the judge made particular reference to the plight of the family, the enormous void that was now in their lives, their devotion to a tractor as a wife and a mother, all of which he seemed to feel was exemplified in that vain trip to Dublin on a freezing Christmas day. The judge also spoke about a tractor accepting a lift from Hamilton 
the day she'd disappeared as she was walking the relatively short distance back from church into Strabane. It was in her trusting nature to accept the offer, he said, not realising that Hamilton was a highly dangerous individual. The murder was the stuff of nightmares, he continued. Psychological reports had found that Hamilton was not mentally unbalanced, but he knew exactly what he was doing. As the medical evidence shows you do not suffer from any mental illness or abnormality of personality, I do not consider it appropriate, therefore, to regard your age as a mitigating factor. The judge continued it was no surprise that a track to Harron's son, Michael, described Hamilton as pure evil. He praised the Harron family who'd handled themselves with great dignity throughout their entire ordeal, even thanking the police for delivering the evidence to convict Hamilton and even accepting that the Northern Ireland Probation Board officers did their best to monitor and prevent Hamilton committing more crimes. But if it was you, how would you feel about the failure of the system to protect a tractor Harren from Hamilton? The family must justifiably feel let down by the Northern Ireland criminal justice system and its agencies. As Michael Harren later said, my mother did not have to die for the public to be protected from Hamilton. One of the problems, as were admitted by the authorities, was that there was not sufficient sharing of information about Hamilton between the main agencies the probation board, the police and the prison service. Too late for the Harrens, the North's criminal justice minister, David Hansen, announced a review into the management of sex offenders. The agencies involved in the management of Trevor Hamilton have already learned lessons from this tragic case and will continue to do so, he pledged. But sadly, as we've heard so many times on this podcast, the talk of reviews and learning lessons all ring a little hollow for the friends and families of the bereaved. Just over a year after a tractor's murder, her first grandchild was born. Her husband, Michael Harron, said, Every time I see him, I just think how much pleasure she'd have had in that little boy. It's not just what we lost, it's what she lost. She had so much life ahead and it was just ripped away from her. A tractor's daughter, Ellis, told the local paper that her mum was just the most wonderful person. I wish you could all have met her, she said. She really loved life and she lived it to the full. It was filled with happy experiences of her family, her work, her faith, the arts and nature. She was a kind, generous and loving woman who shared this love, not only with her family, but also with the hundreds of people she met and worked with during her life. No one should suffer and die the way she did. So what do you make of what we've heard today? How chilling it always is when a complete stranger attacks at random. Ten years on from the murder, Michael Harron said that the pain had not eased and that he particularly struggles at Christmas. On the 10-year anniversary in 2013, most of the family were meeting, as they always do, at the chapel in Murlog where his wife was laid to rest. He said, Her youngest grandchild is coming this year for the first time. She's just a year and ten months. It'll be a quiet day. He said, it's as if it happened yesterday. We get no release. As listeners to this podcast, we can only hope that the family and friends of Attractor remember all the happy memories of such a special person and find some peace from the torment of what happened to her at the very end of her life. And what of Hamilton as he continues to make a life for himself in prison, knowing that he would die in his cell? Apparently he spends much of his time working as an orderly during the day, and making handicraft for matchsticks at night. 
Described by sources as a model prisoner, he's more recently taken up art and he's been painting intricate images onto cotton handkerchiefs. And with a budgie called Nipper for company in his cell and personal access to a TV, stereo, DVD player of up to 14 DVDs, a PlayStation and a video recorder, Hamilton appears happy with where he is. One woman who started corresponding with him in jail released his letters to a newspaper where he still protested his innocence, saying, To be honest, it's been enough to reduce me to tears and I wish I'd never wake up. But I'm over that now and want to keep going to prove everyone wrong. He adds, I don't share a cell and I've got my own TV, video, hi-fi, PlayStation and I've got a wee budgie that's left to keep me company when it gets cold and lonely at night. I've got myself into doing some handicrafts, making things out of matchsticks in my cell at night. It helps me pass the time. And he ends one letter. Well, I better go now. Bad Girls has come on the telly. There's not much else to say really about Hamilton, is there? I really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast. Please head to our Facebook group to discuss this story and any other aspects of UK true crime. It's a fun group and you are most welcome to join us. If you'd like to support the show, please head to patreon.com slash UK true crime. And for less than three quid a month, you can hear the 10 full length bonus episodes along with other exclusive content. So that's all from me for now. I'm off to play in the snow that covered Essex this morning. So until we speak again next week, cheerio.